This is the Oanda Podcast, brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Hello, this is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where each week we take on the big financial and business headlines from around the world. I'm Nick Howard. Joining me are two of Oanda's senior market analysts, Craig Earlham in the UK and Jeff Halley in Singapore. Well, both of you, good to speak with you again. Trading has obviously been subdued this week because America is off for the Thanksgiving holiday. Now we're into Black Friday. Where's the movement at the moment? Uh, to be honest, I mean, it, it, it's pretty quiet uh, the, these last two days of the week. As you'd expect, really, you've got the US bank holiday on Thursday. And... The, if you are in the US, uh, I think there's a lot of people who are going to be turning this into an extended weekend. So it, it, it's, it was always going to be a, a quite a quiet end to the week, especially when it has been quite a, quite a month, shall we say, starting with the US presidential election, which feels so long ago now, uh, and then going through three vaccine announcements. It's been quite a volatile period for these markets. So I think everyone was probably in need of the Thanksgiving yet even those of us outside of the US itself. Uh, I think the, uh, and also I think the end of the year could also be quite uh, quite active as well. We've still got Brexit to sort out here in the UK uh, in a very short period of time. We've got a couple of major central bank decisions as well over the course of the next few weeks, uh, which will be uh, interesting as well. We've got the presidential transition uh, and we could even potentially, uh, although it's probably a bit optimistic at this stage, get some more fiscal stimulus as well as far as the US is concerned. So, this, this end of the week's been pretty quiet, but I think it's probably much needed, if I'm honest. Yeah, I mean, when we look at the first uh, week of the month, that's typically extremely data-heavy for the for the world, most especially for purchasing purchasing manager indices for uh, manufacturing and services. And uh, December's no different. Next week, we're going to have a very heavy data schedule. So typically, the last uh, week of the month, is a bit quiet on the calendar anyway, and it culminates at the end of next Friday with uh, the US non-farm payrolls. I know it's looking a little bit ahead, but what are we expecting from those? Uh, a slight retreat, actually, about 550,000 jobs uh, added to the economy, which uh, may well be due to um, temporary workers hired for the election, for example, um, moving back off uh, those payrolls. Uh, but we may, the market really will be looking for uh, signs that this COVID-19 pandemic and it's however many waves it is in America um, is starting to really impact the domestic economy. So uh, the concerns there will be that it's a low number, uh, which actually may bring back the Republicans to the negotiating table on the fiscal, st- fiscal stimulus part but almost certainly makes uh, uh, some sort of action by the FOMC at their meeting in uh, rate decision meeting in December, almost certain, which is, I think, the base case anyway, but it'll make it 100% certainty. Do you think there'll be sympathy for Joe Biden inheriting a much weaker economy because of the uh, because of the, the damage of the pandemic? Um, or is this going to be the albatross around his neck through his uh, his term? Well, I, I, I think he'll get a grace period. Normally, new presidents, uh, new leadership get a get a honeymoon period anyway. It may well be quite good timing because uh, by the time we get well into Q1, I would expect uh, quite a few that uh, these vaccines that we've already seen, I would expect them to be starting to hit quite wide distribution 
uh, within the United States and other developed countries who have uh, forked all the money up front. So uh, if that is the case, uh, then we could see quite a rapid recovery in the, the US economy. It could dodge a very large bullet and that would actually be positive uh, for Mr. Biden uh, and his new administration. Craig, speaking of those vaccines, we're seeing the AstraZeneca um, attempted a vaccine. This is the one developed by uh, or in conjunction with the University of Oxford and which the UK government has bet heavily upon. That's now going to the regulator for emergency approval um, or, or to be at least looked at for emergency approval. There was a wobble with this one uh, this week in terms of the data. Did that has that um, made you reassess it? I suppose as a uh, as a possibility. Probably not. I think um, I think if this was data, if this was issues in relation to uh, safety, then uh, then obviously I think that would be a much greater barrier to overcome. But I think the 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 data is still uh, it, it still shows that it's still highly effective, and I think the uh, additional the uh, the additional tests that are going to be carried out is still going to be around what is the most effective dosage uh, in order to distribute. But I guess we'll see what the the the, uh, the results from the regulators are. Um, I think the the US is I think is still going to be a massive barrier, and the fact that there's two other vaccines out there where the results have already incredibly positive may actually work against AstraZeneca um, uh, on this point, particularly maybe over in the US. But it's extremely difficult to say. Um, uh, I think it is obviously a setback and it's not as uh, it's not the results necessarily that we all wanted in terms of we wanted this to be very clear. We wanted this to be very smooth and we wanted uh, the the next phase of this to be extremely straightforward so that the distribution could begin, especially when you consider the fact that the AstraZeneca va- vaccine is the one that's the cheapest, is the one that's the easiest to distribute. It, it can be, the manufacturing could be ramped up um, uh, in an inc- uh, to an incredible scale. This is the one that you kind of wanted more desperately to run smoothly. So the fact that there is these uh, potential issues, not only does it create issues around whether the regulators will be happy to approve it, but then of course, as we've seen for so many weeks now, this the vaccine, the 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 barriers to the the success of these vaccines is not just regulatory approval; it's public approval, it's trust, uh, and that could be one potential barrier now to the AstraZeneca vaccine. If even if the, for example, the UK regulator approves it. Now, staying with the UK, we heard from the Chancellor Rishi Sunak this week about his uh, spending review. So the year ahead in terms of government public spending um, and also just you know, the impacts that the pandemic has had on the public finances. Looking ahead to next year, the impact of vaccines were taken into account. Things will be a lot grimmer if um, vaccines aren't on the, um, on the horizon and being rolled out by um, early next year. What have you taken from the spending review? Was it as grim as you expected? Uh, yes and no. I mean, obviously, we've seen so many forecasts now, and the Bank of England have uh, updated their forecast not too long ago. So we kind of know how bad the situation is. Also, because of the vaccines, the unemployment forecasts are lower than they were previously envisaged to be. So 7.5% is not a great unemployment number. I think that's, what, 2.6 million people. That's not in anyone's books uh, a success uh, but it is better than what was previously envisaged and how bad it could have been if these furlough schemes for example hadn't been rolled out and uh, and hadn't been renewed which they thankfully were albeit late in the day 
Uh, we are. There is still a massive battle. There is still a, a massive recovery that needs to be undertaken. Um, but uh, I think the the UK and other countries are going to be relatively well positioned in order to do so because of the efforts that have been made over the course of the last six months. Um, but that there's no denying that there's a big fight on our hands and a contraction of more than 11% this year is nothing to sniff at. The ne- next year is, is now expected to be slightly softer than uh, in terms of recovery than maybe some had predicted at earlier points. Uh, but uh, I think, as we've seen this year, forecasting uh, economic, uh, economic recoveries and economic downturns is extremely difficult in the midst of a pandemic. And this pandemic is not behind us. We're only going to exit another lockdown in just under a week's time. We're then mostly going to go into tier two or tier three, 99% of us into tier two or tier three restrictions. How long are we going to stay there for and what impact that's going to have on the first quarter? So there's, there's still a lot of uh, massive variables that are going to have an impact on how the economy looks next year. I'm probably more at the more optimistic end in terms of uh, of how this recovery is going to go. But the, like I said, there's so many variables. How uh, it, the, these, these forecasts are going to be updated on a month-by-month basis. Jeff, how do things look in the UK from where you're standing? Yeah, it's a little hard to... Uh a little hard to pass a strong judgment. Looking at it internationally from outside the UK, the markets are really concentrating entirely on this Brexit trade deal with Europe. They're not really looking at the trajectory uh, of UK growth next year um, with vis-a-vis viral uh, pandemic hangovers, et cetera, et cetera. From an international point of view, it's all about this Brexit trade agreement and the market will pass judgment on Britain on the basis of whether it gets one over the line with the, with Europe, and that's what markets are pricing in at the moment, or it doesn't, in which case I would expect uh, UK equities and the, and, and, the, and, the, and the sterling to be severely punished in, in all likelihood. So from an international point of view, it's all about this trade agreement and not really about the government accounts or the growth trajectory next year. Can we touch on Brexit just briefly? Craig, I know that you're still extremely optimistic that a deal will be passed. Uh, Yeah, I am. I mean, to be honest, I I feel like I've been this way for a very long time, pretty much throughout the the process, uh, I think, although the last four and a half years is is difficult to recount over entirely. But um, I think a deal has always been a preferred outcome. And despite what we see and hear in public, I think Boris Johnson has always massively preferred uh, a deal to a no deal. Uh, But obviously, he's in a negotiation, so he has to make it clear that the UK will thrive outside of the EU with a deal or not, because otherwise you're just showing a weak hand uh, when you're heading into these negotiations. But I, I, I think for a deal to collapse this late in the day over something like fishing, which is such a small part of the economy, I think would uh, represent an enormous failure on both sides. Uh, And therefore, I just don't see that happening. We're going to see one last little bit of public brinkmanship, it seems. We're seeing Barnier now suggesting publicly that that time's running short and that compromises need to be made. You're seeing those little leaks that are starting to appear now about uh, the, the threats saying, well, we, we can now come out of isolation and um, and we can return to the UK on Saturday. But before we agree to return, we need to know that you're going to back down on a few things. Those type of noises start to appear. We haven't heard those for three or four weeks, which is what's partly given me an increased amount of confidence. Um, but beyond what I think, 
the markets are extremely confident too. We've got the pound, which is trading at pretty much two and a half year highs uh, against the US dollar and is lingering around those highs. We're not seeing the downside in the currency that we typically see when we're hitting the anxious part of these negotiations. So there is clearly a, a significant confidence in these markets that a deal is going to be done. Obviously, if these talks collapse in spectacular fashion, then the, the downside could be quite severe uh, as a result of that. But I think there's a shared view that this ignoring the noise that this is we're so close to a deal right now it's almost impossible to imagine a situation where both sides call it a day and decide that no deal is the only option well let's actually try and imagine that then because these aren't negotiations being run by 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 traders by analysts by economists it's a political process and it does concern me that actually compromises are always incredibly damaging to um, politicians because they do involve being able to show the other person's point of view. It feels as though both sides have got nothing to lose politically from a no-deal Brexit, and that concerns me. But it's not just politics, it's economics as well. And when you're in the midst of a pandemic, then the economics will heavily impact you politically also. Uh, the Trying to sell to a, a public that we've chosen no deal when unemployment's expected to be 7.5% without no deal, when businesses are under enormous amounts of strain, Brexit aside, that is extremely difficult. And the EU has difficulties, um, will we, we'll suffer consequences as a result of this as well, albeit to a lesser extent. But individually, countries like Ireland um, will, will suffer far more than other countries within the EU. So the, it, it just creates massive challenges. And then there's the other challenges from a UK politically of, uh, of how does the UK then secure a trade deal with the US if we go down the no deal route and we start to talk again about the internal market bill. Uh, we've seen what the Biden administration's uh, view is uh, in relation to that. So does that make a deal with the US less possible? So we could talk about the politics um, of a no deal potentially being beneficial, but poli politics doesn't exist entirely without the economics. Um, so uh, I, I see the point, but at the same time, I think both sides have an awful lot more to lose from a no deal Brexit uh, economically and politically than they do have to gain. Take the fishing rights as an example. How does Boris Johnson sell to the UK electorate that we've had to choose no deal because we couldn't come to an agreement on fishing, which is a tiny, tiny part of the UK economy, no matter how big the political message was around that and has been since. Um, it, how do you sell that to the vast majority of the economy that has no reliance on fishing? Equally, if you're looking at France, for example, um, they've, Emmanuel Macron has repeatedly said that um, they won't sign up to an agreement unless it includes, uh, unless, they, unless France has continued access to UK fishing waters. But if the offer on the table uh, is better in terms of access than no deal, then how does he sell that back at home that rather than have uh, worse, worse access than they have under an EU, uh, uh, with the UK in the EU, but better than uh, than they'd have without how is that better to accept no deal in that in those terms as well so yes politically no deal can have its benefits but i think as an overall package politically economically combined i don't think anyone wins with a no deal jeff i have to be honest i don't recognize the rational actors that craig paints these politicians are from my uh, dealings with the brexit process <laughs> over the last few years what do you think? Are you well, with me or with Craig? Well, I, I do. I mean, the markets are pricing zero chance of this of there not being a deal. Yeah, they they're one hundred percent certain that some sort of deal is going to come across the line, and I, and I I tend to agree with that because there's been a change of guard in America, and now 
Biden is very pro-Ireland. Uh, he has Irish roots. Uh, he's already made his intentions very clear on this one. But also remember that the EU is fighting a battle on two fronts here as well now. Budapest and Warsaw and Poland and Hungary have been vetoing uh, the recovery budgets and the, the next five-year budget for the Eurozone because they disagree on uh, uh, independence of judiciary, et cetera, et cetera, over there. So they're having political uh, ructions on the east as well as the west the European Union at the moment. And the way the EU is structured, uh, Poland and uh, Hungary can keep um, keep vetoing these things, even though they would be shooting themselves in the, in the foot economically. It could make it very difficult to pass the budget and the European Recovery Fund. Uh, so uh, with that in mind, I mean, the EU really does need to get a win uh, out of this as well. And the trade between Britain and Europe is massive. And as Craig said, in the middle of a pandemic with uh, employment skyrocketing and the economy severely wounded, it would be just uh, uh, the height of idiocy for these two sides not to reach some sort of agreement to take things forward to at least keep that economic activity going in some shape or form into 2021 and the years beyond. Gentlemen, can we move on to commodities? Um, now, we've seen the oil price rising enormously uh, this week, um, presumably on, on hopes that a vaccine would bring back international travel, etc. It feels all a bit long-term optimistic. The oil rally this, this month has definitely been on this global uh, recovery trade. There's no doubt about it. Um, uh, and, and as markets want are these, uh, these days, they tend to price two years' worth of uh, economic uh, movement into two days of trading. Uh, in this case, it's taken a couple of weeks. But we have started seeing oil running out of steam up here, uh, particularly Brent crude around 49. It had a bad day yesterday, and uh, oil prices are only just uh, edging a little bit higher today. A lot of this move has been on speculation and hope, uh, as opposed to actual real evidence that oil consumption is increasing in the real economy, which it absolutely is not. So uh, at, at this juncture, I, I fully agree that uh, there is a more positive outlook for oil prices, but I don't think that we should be expecting oil prices to be sitting above $50 a barrel uh, next year at all. I think uh, there's a lot of damage to be unwound. And Craig, I want to talk about your favourite subject, which is Bitcoin, which has uh, slumped again <laughs> after hitting its multi-year highs earlier in the week. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's been on an incredible run since, well, just for just over a month, really. And uh, I think we've got a combination of factors. The rally really kicked into gear on the 21st of October, so it's coincided with the PayPal announcement. Um, services being rolled out initially to a small number of people in the US to be able to buy, sell Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, uh, Ethereum, and one or two others. Um and at that point, it was trading below twelve thousand uh, dollars. We saw a spike on the back of that news. Of course, like that is good news. If you are a Bitcoin advocate and you are a big a follower of cryptocurrencies and you're an advocate and you and you fully believe in them, then the adoption of them onto a platform like PayPal making it easier for people to access, making it more uh, available, making it more trustworthy to people who have otherwise steered clear. Um, this is a, a positive move. There's no doubt about that. Does it justify? Uh, a rise of 65-70%. No, of course not. Um, they, they, but then this is Bitcoin and this is what Bitcoin does. 
but all uh, that people maybe want to claim that everything's changed over the course of the last three, last three years. Some things have, have changed for the better. Some things haven't changed at all. And one of the things that hasn't, pro- improved, haven't, hasn't improved at all is that this is a highly, highly speculative asset and, and, that, and nothing more at this point in time. Uh, and the fact that we can see these kind of in, insane moves and the more hype you get around the announcement, the more these moves uh, materialise, as long as that continues, as long as we continue to see these kinds of moves, then nothing is, uh, nothing is going to change. Uh, and you look at it, and it's not just the right, the move up. There's the old kind of adage in the markets that they kind of go up the stairs and down the elevator. Um, well, when it comes to Bitcoin, they don't go down the elevator; they just jump straight out the window. They, they, they we've fallen, we fell thirteen percent at one point yesterday, and uh, and and recovered to trade to to close the day down only eight percent. Uh, that, I mean, that's an extraordinary move. We're off a couple of percent today, which is only meager, but then that still leaves these markets up uh, close to 50% from the move, from the position they were at in October. So when I'm saying all this, I'm not saying that that, that Bitcoin isn't making positive moves, but its position as, a, as an investable instrument that can make up any kind of significant part of anyone's portfolio, it's just, uh, it, it's just nonsensical because it's far too volatile. You can't see these kind of daily swings and expect people to take it seriously as an investment, interest, as an investment instrument. It's a gamble. It's, a, it's pure speculation. That's not to say it's not enjoyable to follow. That doesn't mean that it's, it's not interesting. That doesn't mean that the technology uh, doesn't have some... F- doesn't have a strong foundation that doesn't mean that uh that, that we should just completely write off the entire uh the entire space it just means that for people who want to say it's gold 2.0 or that this is a sign of it taking over gold that it's this is this is due to purely currency debasement and that this is a sign that it's taking over the world i mean at this point that's utter nonsense and there's just nothing to actually back that up Getting onto uh, this this kind of alignment with PayPal, the fact that Facebook's looking to uh, to promote Libra, uh, these mm. are all positive movements. But it, it's just what we've seen over the last month is just more and more evidence that while there is positive things happening in the space, the price continues to be driven purely by speculation and hype. Jeff, anything to add? Yeah, I mean that was uh, quite a sermon from the pulpit there, and I, I actually agree with, uh, with with Craig's priestly remarks on uh, on, on Bitcoin. Uh, so, I mean, we're looking at it today. I mean, it, it's not uncommon for Bitcoin to have fifteen hundred, one thousand, five hundred US dollar ranges per day. No instrument can move like that with that sort of volatility and be taken seriously as an investable uh, instrument. And this is my big issue with uh, Bitcoin at the moment. As Craig said, I don't dispute the technology or the future, uh, but at, at the moment, it is just doesn't have uh, the uh, characteristics of, a, of an investable, um, an investable uh, instrument. And we can see this Dutch tulip mania rally that we've seen over October and November. We've given back nearly 30% of that in one day. That says to me that there was a lot of speculative fear of missing out money, get rich quick going into this rally, and it wasn't based necessarily on fundamentals. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 um, I actually believe that we could see uh, this Bitcoin, uh, this Bitcoin correction uh, carry carry quite a bit lower lower yet. So um, it may be that. Um, Bitcoin has traced a, a double top uh, in the long term, just ahead of twenty thousand. 
Gentlemen, good speaking with you today. That was Jeff Halley and before him Craig Erland, both senior market analysts at Oanda in Singapore and London respectively. This is the Oanda Market Insights podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm Nick Howard. Join us again next week. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.